Turn, if you would, to the ninth chapter of Romans. You can open it right up to that, right there. And just set that book right there on your lap, open to the book of Romans. I told our brother Norm Wells this morning I don't really have any notes today. It's uh you know it's it's not shameful for a man to come to the pulpit and tell you openly that sometimes the Lord just doesn't give you what you think you need to have for notes. I was taken to this book of Romans chapter 9. I know the Lord led me to that. And I pray that the Lord will give me a message for you from this. And I pray the Lord will speak to your hearts from His Word. May it please Him to give us a message this morning from this ninth chapter of Romans. We must be taught of God. So it's my prayer that our Lord would teach you and I a truth. Something that we can grab a hold of in this world of chaos that we live in. Have any of you watched the news lately? You don't need to raise your hands. If you're like me, you're probably sitting there going, oh. I, you know, I, I, I can't watch it. I, I, when I say watch the news, I don't mean that. I mean, just if you just even glance to see what's going on in the world around us. Brother Cody, are you called up? Are you being called up? No. Thank God. Bill and I were talking about that this morning. Somebody asked about you. That's why I needed to ask you if you have been. I'm, I thank my Lord you haven't. And I pray you don't. Our brother Chuck Huffman, Gene's son-in-law, has been told to be ready to move out Tuesday morning for somewhere near Ukraine. He's, he's not a fighting soldier, but he is uh, one who maintains the uh, Black Hawk helicopters, uh, the computers on the helicopters, so they're calling him into action in, in his uh, unit. Man, we live in some trying times, folks. Some very, very trying times. Not just in the world around us in possible wars and so on like that, but we live in trying times in our own country, don't we? Is it just me? Or do we see the master of deceit? The master of lives seem to be flourishing in our country. I was thinking about this the other day. Do you know that the master of deceit is so good at deceit that he deceives himself? He actually thinks that he could take one of God's elect away from him. That's what it means when it goes about roaring as a lion in Scripture. You've heard that phrase? The devil goes about as a roaring lion. The roaring lion is not about to attack his prey. 
Lions, when they attack their prey, are very quiet and stealth. Roaring lion's just out there roaring, letting everybody know he's around. To a child of God, that's all he's doing is roaring. He can't take us away from God Almighty, for God Almighty is God Almighty, even over the devils. we're about to read here in Romans chapter 9 I have heard this I have not experienced it so I'm actually going to share this with you from what another man has told me one who has attended uh, some of the so called Christian universities that in the Christian universities they would prefer that you do not study Romans chapter 9 you see many of the world's religions absolutely hate this portion of God's Word. They, they, they love to call upon the Word that fits their perspective as like John 3.16. That fits their perspective. They'll take that phrase, God so loved the world, and they'll take that to mean that God loved everybody in the world. Because that fits their perspective. They think to themselves, God must love all of mankind. He must love all of His creation. Do you know that the entire creation, all the stars, have been cursed along with the flesh? Everything's going to burn up. All that we can see with these physical eyes will burn up. That's what the Scriptures tell us. The very earth that we walk on has been cursed by God Almighty because of sin when sin was brought into the world by one man, Adam, our father. They think that God must love all of mankind, that He must love all of His creation, and therefore all men must be loved of God. You see, it's our nature to try to explain things according to what we understand. Isn't it fun to have a conversation with somebody? Oh yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I understand that completely. Let me tell you my opinion about that. That's how we get these big arguments going on and what we have for this government is everybody has an opinion. Everybody has an understanding. And everybody wants to voice it. I don't understand this or that. And it bothers me that these people want to do this or that, but they don't understand how I feel about things either. And it probably bothers them that I have certain thoughts and certain, certain understandings. It is our nature to explain things to our own understanding. That's why we can say this. And, and I'll bet some of you probably feel the same way. It's my way or the highway. If you don't like it my way, then go on down the road and do your way somewhere else. <laughs> I know. I know. I felt my, in my own heart these very things. Let me share with you two scriptures. The Word of Truth.
this love letter that our Lord, who loved us so much, giving Himself for us, left for you and I to read, is truth. Oh, John, truth is uh, you know whatever a person wants to think. No, this is truth. This is not. If I'm reading this, then I'm reading truth. It says in this truth, this book of truth, in Proverbs 3 verse 5, it says this, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And then it says this. And, and this is tough. This is not easy to do. This is what I'm about to read next. This is very difficult to do. At least for this guy. Lean not unto thine own understanding. Man, that's hard. How do I lean not on the things that I I think I understand? How can I trust in the Lord with all my heart? You know that song we sing, Great, Great is Thy Faithfulness? You know whose faithfulness that's singing about, right? That's singing about His faithfulness. God the Father first trusted in His Son because He's the one you can trust in. How can I trust in the Lord with all thine heart? I can't with that natural heart that I used to walk in, but I do with the heart that the Lord has given me now. In Isaiah 55 verse 8, we read these words, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. You get the picture that we're painting here? Folks, we don't even want to trust in our own feelings. My feelings can be deceiving to me. My, whether they be feelings of joy or whatever they be, can be deceiving. But I can trust in the one solid thing, the one truth, and that is my Lord and Savior. I can trust in what He says. I can trust in what He did. Because He's God and He does nothing wrong. Everything He does is perfect. Including allowing me to step in things sometimes. To step into my own sin. My God does everything well. In verse 1 of Romans chapter 9, the Apostle Paul declares what he is about to say. And it comes from his heart. Look at verse 1 of chapter 9. I say... This is Paul writing, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not, for my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. Paul is saying to us in verse 1 that what I am about to convey comes from my heart. What he is about to say next in in verses 2 and so on comes from his heart. It's like uh, the Lord came to Peter and, and, and he says, Dost thou love me? Peter says, well, yeah, you know I love you. He asked him three times, and finally Peter is like, Lord, 
What are you, why are you asking me again? You know I love you because you know my heart. You know all things. He knows our hearts better than we do. And He knows that love that is in our hearts because it's Him who put it there. We love Him because He first loved us. And because of His love for us, He came to us, each and every one of us, when we walked in that darkness and gave us the light of His Son in a brand new heart. He didn't make the heart that was there something better. He cut it out and gave us a new heart. It's called the new birth. He gave us life where there was once death. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. That I have a great heaviness. A great heaviness and a continual sorrow in my heart. Paul is telling us that his great heaviness is for his brethren. I mentioned a moment ago, we all have children or family or friends that still walk in the darkness that we once walked in. Well, it was in a Bible study. I'm sorry, it was in our Bible study. We were looking at, we were talking about the grace that we have towards others. It's, it's easy, easier to be gracious to those who walked in the shoes that we once walked in. And because now we see that we were once blind, we can look at those who were just like us, those that we were just like at one time, and see their blindness and have grace upon them. Be gracious to them, because maybe, maybe the Lord will call them out of the darkness just as He did you and I. Paul had this great heaviness for his people, for his family, for his kin. He says in verse 3, For I could wish that myself were a curse. This heaviness was so much that Paul had the desire to give himself. To give himself for those that he loved. A curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. And then he declares them for who they are, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants of the giving of the law and the service of God and the promise, who are the fathers and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever, amen. But not as though the word of God hath taken none effect. In other words, he just declared those that he had... Uh, those, those of his kin who did not know the Lord, they had all the oracles and all of that. But look over at verse chapter, uh, look over at chapter 8. No, I'm sorry, verse 10. Chapter 10. Look over at the first four verses of chapter 10. This is what he's talking about. He's talking about his loved ones, his people. Chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. This is those brethren that he was just talking about. Those ones who aren't the true Israel. They're Israel of the flesh, but that's it. For I bear them record, he speaks of them, that they have a zeal of God. Oh, how many of us have brothers and sisters or family who have a zeal 
for a God. They have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, now listen to what it reads next, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves into the righteousness of God. For Christ, verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. This is who Paul is writing about here and talking about in chapter 9. Those who have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And then he goes on in verse 6, back in our text of chapter 9, not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But notice what he says next. Now I began this message by telling you that this is a scripture that all the religious world hates. And the reason why is because this chapter is very clear on election. Chosen. Those who were chosen of God before the world began. Before a star ever twinkled in the skies, it talks about in Ephesians chapter 1, before the foundation of the world. Folks, I brought this out in Friday night study. We have always been loved of God. Or maybe it was this morning, because I, I get them confused now at my old age. You folks, when you get to be as old as I am, you'll understand. <laughs> God's people have always been loved of God. The Lord Jesus Christ was known as is known as it mentions in Revelation, the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world because God had determined to save a people before even anybody was even created. We're going to see that in just a moment here. Let's read on. Uh, let's do read the 6 again. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel, neither because they are of the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac, but in one. Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, they are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. Those that are promised... Did you know that we were promised in a covenant of God before the world began? God the Father gave God the Son a people. On the basis that God the Son, and this is the agreement, that He would come to this world, be made flesh, walk righteously, fulfill the law perfectly for them, because they could not of themselves, and then lay down His life, shed His blood, make the payment clear, the atonement was made in our Savior for each and every one of those people. You and I, those who have seen the truth of God by the revelation of Jesus Christ, you cannot come to the Son you cannot come to the Father unless the Lord Jesus Christ reveals Himself to you. The Word of God is enmity. You know what that word means? Enmity, it is, it is the harshest thing you can think of. That is just, it's completely the opposite. It cannot be together. 
Natural man and the Word of God cannot be together. We must be brought together and that's what grace has done. And we all know what grace means. It means we haven't done anything to deserve it. The picture of Israel, they were the smallest people on the world, on the face of the world at that time. Our Lord chose them not because of anything that they done, not because they were greater than anybody else, for they were not. God's elect, God's chosen people. Verse 9, For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. Abraham and Sarah had been married for a long time. The Lord had promised that Sarah would deliver a child. And purposefully, our Lord did not give her a child until she was quite old. So old that she had passed the time of being childbearing. It was naturally impossible for her to have a child, yet the Lord delivered His promise. Verse 10, and not only this, but when Rebekah, Rebekah, the wife of Isaac, also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac. And this is, a, this is election in clear, unmistakable language. You cannot misinterpret what we are about to read. You cannot take what we are about to read and make it fit your own ideals. It says in verse 11, For the children, speaking of the two children that were in Rebekah's womb, being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, before they even had a chance to do anything, that the purpose of God that the purpose of God according to election might stand not of works but of him that calleth it was said unto her unto Rebecca that the elder shall serve the younger folks that was just not that was just not something that could be done in those days it was just it just wasn't something that could be done Yet it was with the Lord. Esau would serve Jacob. As he said, as it said, it was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Now, you know, I do want to turn back to Micah. You notice it says, as it is written here, I want you to read where it's written. So turn back to Malachi if you would. Hold your place there in Romans. What did I say, Micah? I get those two mixed up quite often. Malachi. Last book of the Old Testament. This is where it was written. This is where it's referring to. Now, if you go and you look up that word hated, it says, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Now, if you go look up that word in the King James Dictionary, you'll find in there at the end of the de definition, you'll see where it says inserted, loved less. That means if somebody came by after the interpretation had been made, after the dictionary had been written, 
and they typed in there, here's another one we want to add into it. Somebody didn't like the fact that God hated somebody, that God hated anybody. We want God, we want a God who loves everybody so that everybody has a chance. This is a this is my hope for my children, is that my children could make a decision and follow Jesus. If you go back to the Old Testament and you look it up in the Old Testament, you'll find out that hate. Look at verse 3. Now let's just read verses uh, 2 and 3. I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet you say, Wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord, yet I loved Jacob? And I hated Esau and laid his mountains and his heritage to waste for the dragons of the wilderness? Now you look that up in the dictionary and you'll find that that word hated, that's a, that's a reviling. It, it's such a... It's such a strong word that you can't even, they can't even look upon it. Folks, the only reason God loves you and I. See, it was pretty simple. He hated Esau because Esau is a, Esau is a, a representation of sin. Did you know Jacob was a usurper? He was not a nice guy. He was a liar, but yet his brother Esau was was a picture of sin and God cannot look upon sin. The only reason God can look upon you and I, the only reason God can love you and I is because of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ and what He has done for us. Because of Him laying down His life for us, shedding His blood for us, paying the redemptive price, we're washed in His blood. We're washed as clean, white as snow in the blood of Christ. Back in our text, chapter 9. Verse 13 again, As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Then verse 14, What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? (sighs) Folks, what you don't understand, there's a lot of this book that I don't understand. I'm probably the least of anyone who understands any part of it. But I would never call my Lord unrighteous. And the only reason I would never do it is because of Him. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. And then Paul quotes Scripture. He says, For he saith to Moses, in Exodus 33:19, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Is there unrighteousness with God because He hated Esau who is a representation of sin and He loved Jacob who is a representation of God's people? Those who have been cleansed by the blood of God? By grace they are saved? (laughs) No. Our Lord says, I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Aren't you thankful that He has compassion on anybody? Amen. He didn't have to. 
When we sing that song, praise Him, praise Him. You know, we're praising our Lord because He's had compassion on some. And we are that some. I don't deserve it. I haven't earned it. But my Lord and Savior freely gave it to me. Just as He gives that compassion to each and every one of His people. Just as He gives it to you. Verse 16, So then it is not of Him that willeth. See, we've already looked at the declaration of election that the world hates up there, but now you're going even deeper than that. You're going past that point of election and you're saying, now wait a minute, I have no part, no part in this? I don't have a choice? If I was left up to my own choice, I'd still be out there running around in the darkness that I once walked in. And everyone who's been enlightened by God would say the same exact thing. We see now what we were once before, blind as bats. Even worse. At least bats have some kind of a radar or something to keep them from running into something. I'd be running into everything as I was before. And if you're a child of God who has been experienced the grace of God in your heart, you know exactly what I'm saying. You too can sit there and say, I know what I used to be. And I know the grace of God because it's by His grace that I am what I am now. Verse 16 again, So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Oh, for the mercy of God to this poor sinner. Oh, for the mercy of God to each and every poor sinner for whom He laid His life down for. Verse 17, For the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Remember him? Remember Pharaoh? The guy they buried in those big old huge rock pyramids in the east <laughs> along with all the other pharaohs most powerful man on earth at that time so powerful that he thought himself to be a god everybody did exactly what he said and most of them did what they thought he was thinking For the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh, now listen to what the Lord has to say about that man Pharaoh. Each and every one of us, folks, have seen ourselves as this, the king of our world, the ruler of our world. I did it my way. For the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up. God raised that man up to be the most powerful man on earth at that time, just as He raises up the presidents of this country. Amen. Just as He raises up that sheriff who drives around in his car making sure people are staying out of trouble. Just as He raises up my boss. They used to tell me to clock in and clock out and go home and do this and just and each of you who are working. You know what I mean? 
Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, our Lord says, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Verse 18, Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Thou shalt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but O man, verse 20, Who art thou that repliest against God? Who are you to question God? Only those who believe that they have power over any God will question the true and living God. That's what free willism is. It's declaring that your will is above God's. Either God is sovereign, or He's not God at all. Every religion in the world is completely vain if God does not rule over every minor little thing. We call ourselves Sovereign Grace Baptists to distinguish ourselves differently from all the other Baptist religions in the world. Sovereign Grace means that it's by His Sovereign his will. Not my will, His will. And His will rules over everything. And it's by His grace that I even see that. And all of His children see the same thing when He's called them out of that darkness we once walked in. Nay, but O man, verse 20, Who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to Him that formed it? Shall we, who are nothing but a worm, Say to the one who rules over everything, create, just thinks about it and it's there. The one who has planned everything out already, everything happens according to his purpose. Shall we say to him that formed us, What hast thou, why hast thou made us thus? Well, if that's what you're saying. Paul answers in a very clear and pointed way. Look at this verse 21. Hath not the potter power over the clay? It can't get any simpler than that, folks. We understand what clay is, right? We understand how to make things out of clay. The clay doesn't tell me how to make it. I choose how I want to make the clay. Well, that's exactly what it's saying here. God makes things the way He thinks they should be made. Plain and simple. He's sovereign over everything. Who are we to question Him? I have learned not to question that because God has shown me that He didn't have to choose me. I have come to know, as you have, even each of you have, that if God had not chosen us, we would have chosen to keep going the way we were. If we're left to our own will, and this is the grace of God working in our lives, this is Him coming to us when we were running in darkness, running away from Him, and saying, no, you're mine. I will have you. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. In the palms of His hands we are inscribed.
Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? Folks, if it weren't for the grace of God, we would be going along in dishonor just as we were at one time. Yet we have always been God's sheep. Everything was created that we would come to hear the Gospel preached at some point in our lives. And we praise Him and thank Him for His blessings. Verse 22, What if God willing to show His wrath and to make His power known endured <laughs> endured long-suffering with the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction that He might make known the riches of His glory on the vessels of mercy which He had afore prepared unto glory. Even us whom He hath called, not the Jews only, but also the Gentiles. I think we're going to call it a close at that. No, I want to go over to verse 32 and 33. No, we'll start at verse 30. Jump down to verse 30. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained the righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith, but Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained the law of righteousness? Wherefore, how is that? How can that be? Because they sought it not by faith. These very ones that Paul talks about next in chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, the very ones who had a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge, the very ones that you and I walked as, the very ones that you and I at one time walked right alongside of, having a zeal of either a God of our own imagination or a God of ourselves, but had no, no knowledge of who the Lord Jesus Christ. They sought it not by faith, but as it were the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of an offense, and whosoever believeth on Him shall not be ashamed. The grace of God is spread all throughout His Word. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God showed His grace by turning away what they had done in their own hands, thinking they had clothed themselves with a leaf, and He clothed them with a picture of His righteousness. His grace the blood of His Son. The very blood that He washes you and I with. Making us white as snow. Amen.